Good afternoon, everybody. Um, you're very welcome to Gospel in the City today. Um, good to see you all here today. Um, so we're continuing our series um, on God in the Dock, and this is the second one in our series. Um, so today, Sam's going to be taking us through um, God at Work. So last week, we had Christoph here, and Christoph was... Um, uh, talking to us as well in that same series, um, and this time we're going to be doing God at Work. Um, so my name's Laura. Um, I'm on one of the, on the leadership team here at Gospel in the City, and I just want to introduce to you Colin Moore, who's coming along to help out and uh, joining the team here. So I just wanted to um, take the opportunity to ask him a few questions for yourselves. So, okay. so hello, Colin. How are you? Hello, Laura. Fine, thank you. <laughs> Um, and what is it that you do when you're not at Gospel in the City? Okay, so um, I left work my job of 32 years, Bombardier, over in Queen's Island in March, um, and t- uh, took some time off. Just started with NISRA, Northern Ireland Statistics and Research Agency, so that would be mainly. And then two days a week I study with Cornhill um, Bible course on the Thursday and Friday. So. And um, you answered my second questions already, so you're ahead of the game, which is a good sign. Um, and then what um, made you come to Gospel in the City? What um, brought you here? Well, it's all Sam's fault, because our first day back at Cornhill this year, Sam gave a little plug for Gospel in the City and a little plea, a plug and a plea, I think it was, wasn't it, Sam? <laughs> Just if anybody had any spare time and could um, come into the city centre on Wednesday at lunchtime, he would be glad to see us, so... I think I was the only one that responded to the plea, but here I am. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank You're you. very welcome. So do take a chance to say hello to Colin at some point. Um, so as I said, we're looking today at God at work. And the passage is um, John chapter 5, and it's um, verse 15 to 30. So on page... So 15 to 30 on page 14 of your um, little books there, the John's Gospel. So, um, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will be shown him, so that you may marvel. For as the Son, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel as this, at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Amen. Great, fantastic. So I don't know about you, but if you've been following the news that's been coming out of America um, over the past few weeks, uh, you'll have seen that it's all about impeachment. Uh, Donald Trump uh, had a conversation with the Ukrainian president that people felt uh, was inappropriate, and uh, he is going to be impeached, or at least they're going to try to impeach. I'm not quite sure what the technical process exactly is. Um, But I've been listening to a podcast that was talking about about this impeachment process, and they were making the point that normally in impeachments, what gets the president is the cover-up. It's not They maybe do something very small to start with, but it's really when they lie and try and cover up the truth. That's when you really get the person on the hook for what they've done. But they were saying, you know, this this current uh, impeachment doesn't look like it's going to go that way because Donald Trump is the opposite of somebody who covers anything up. He just puts it all out there. He doesn't care. He just releases the transcript of the conversation and all the evidence is right there uh, for people to have a look at. Well, in uh, in John chapter 5, which we're going through this month in Gospel of the City, uh, Jesus is very much on trial. It's a kind of an impeachment moment. Um, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a kangaroo court, I think you'd have to say. Jesus' enemies, the Jewish leaders, uh, are, are really seeking to kill Jesus, and they're seeking to justify uh, doing that. Uh, there's all kinds of courtroom language uh, in this passage. We heard um, in the passage, Laura just read, lots of language of judgment. Next week, we'll, we'll see lots of uh, discussion of various witnesses um, that are being brought forward. So Jesus is on trial. And last week, we saw the reason why Jesus is on trial. Uh, We saw that Jesus heals uh, this man who's disabled, crippled, uh, by the pool at Bethesda. Um, And it turns out, we saw there just at the start of our reading this morning, uh, this afternoon, that that was taking place on the Sabbath. And that leads to the first charge that the people who want to put Jesus on trial bring uh, to him. Have a look at verse 16. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So that's the kind of the first charge, the, the kind of the, the hook, if you like, or the initial kind of infraction. So we're going to have a look at, at how Jesus responds to that. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Now that, I think, is a really interesting little phrase. And I want to take a bit of time to unpack it. So it comes in two parts. There's two sort of sides to it. And the first thing Jesus is saying here is he's talking about God the Father's work. My Father is working until now. Now, if you're a Jewish person, if you're somebody who who knows the Bible reasonably well, that might seem like a little bit of a strange comment for Jesus to make. Because if you go and look at the first chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, you find that uh, we're told there that God creates the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, God rests from all his works. Um, So six days of work, and then a seventh day where God doesn't work. And interestingly, if you look at Genesis 1, 
uh, you find that each of those first six days ends by saying it was evening and it was morning the first day, the second day, and so on. But the seventh day doesn't have that. There is no evening and morning to the seventh day. So it's almost as though the seventh day just kind of goes on forever. Okay. So that would seem strange, I think, for a Jewish person to hear that God is working because they've been told, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that God has rested from his works. But actually, if you look at the rest of the Bible, it is clear that God is continuing to work. Although he's finished creating the world, he is still working. And probably the the big example that a Jewish person would have had in their mind was the Exodus. Uh, God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, uh, brought them into the wilderness that we thought a bit about last week, and ultimately he brings them into the promised land. And the promised land of Israel in the Bible is referred to as God's rest. Okay, It's a place of rest. It's going to be a place where the people can relax, they can enjoy life, they can enjoy being with God. Um, And so what you see as you look at the whole Bible is that this seventh day, this day of rest, um, is actually a picture of the future that God has for his people. God promises to bring his people to a future time and place of rest. So this is what Jesus is saying, I think, here, when he says that God the Father is working. He's saying that God is continuing to bring his people into this place of rest. So you can see on your handout there, I've got the, um, the diagram. Um, I've got six, six, the six plus one kind of pattern. And that was the pattern for the kind of the week. Six days you'll work, and then on the seventh day you'll rest. Uh, that was the Sabbath, the, 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 the day of rest, the day of, of, of ceasing from your work. But I think it's important to see that in the Bible, uh, that six plus one pattern isn't just the pattern of the working week. It's also the pattern of history. There's a sense in which the, the seventh day never finally comes until God brings his people into the permanent, everlasting Sabbath rest that he's promised for them. So God, if you like, is working all through history to bring people forward into the seventh day, the Sabbath rest for the people of God. So that's God the Father's work. That's what Jesus says his Father is doing. He's working to bring his people into rest. And secondly, this verse tells us something about what Jesus sees his own work as. Uh, Jesus says, my Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus is saying, this is why I can heal this man on the Sabbath day. Because when I'm healing somebody on the Sabbath day, I'm actually doing God's work. I'm doing this job of bringing people into God's rest. So this healing is like a kind of a sign of the future Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now that deals, I think, with the issue of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I've come to do exactly the same work as God. So of course I'm going to be working on the Sabbath because God is working to bring people into the eternal Sabbath. But even if it deals with the first charge of breaking the Sabbath, it it actually just creates another issue. Okay, we're in impeachment territory. But this is very much not a cover-up, is it? It's more like uh, just Jesus is being totally honest. He's saying, yeah, look, here's all the evidence. I'll show it all to you. Um, the, the, The problem that this raises is that Jesus then, verse 18, is making himself equal with God. And so that's the second and probably even more serious charge that Jesus is going to have to deal with. Um, But before we move on to that, I just want to make one little comment just from verse uh, 17. And that is that God is working. 
God is presented to us in the Bible as working. We could almost say God is a worker. I think that's probably going to be helpful for us to think about in the middle of the workplace uh, on a Wednesday lunchtime. And, and notice we've seen that, that there's kind of two kinds of work that God is involved in. He's involved in this sort of six-day work of creating and sustaining the world. That's the kind of the normal work of creation that continues on as God sustains the world. But then he's also got a kind of a seventh-day work, a Sabbath work that he's driving people into, this, this, this work of giving people at rest forever. And if you go back to Genesis, you'll find that as human beings, we are made, the Bible says, in the image of God. Part of what that means, I think, is that we also are meant to be workers like God. And just as God has got two kinds of work that he's involved in, well, so do we. Um, so we have a kind of a six-day work that we can be involved in, uh, helping to keep the world going, helping to sustain the world, helping to make the world productive and orderly and good. And that is what you're paid to do, you'll be pleased to know. In various ways, that's your job. To Whether you're somebody who sells insurance, uh, whether you're somebody who uh, develops social housing, whether you're somebody who's trying to grow the economy uh, or start businesses, all of these things are kind of six-day work. Uh, part of how God is going to make this world productive and orderly and good. And that's really good. But we also have, as Christians, a seventh-day work that we get to be part of. We get to be part of how God is bringing this creation into the Sabbath rest that God has prepared for eternity. And I think that is really exciting. Um, I think a lot of people uh, in our workplaces are probably pretty uh, bored of work. They're almost counting down the days till the weekend or counting down the years to retirement. And as Christians, we've got a much better story than that. We get to reflect a creator God uh, as we work in our jobs. We get to uh, reflect his creative uh, processes and, and be part of making the world orderly and beautiful and good. And we also get to point forwards to a far better rest than the weekend a far better rest than retirement. We get to point people forward to the Sabbath rest that God is preparing in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's uh, that's the first thing then that we can see, and we can, we'll pick that up a little bit in the discussion time. Uh, God is uh, God is at work. Uh, let's have a look then at how Jesus addresses that second charge um, uh, of making himself equal with God. Have a look at verse eighteen. Oh, sorry, actually, let's just look at the second charge. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, even the charge itself is actually worth noticing, because you'll find books that are published just in the last few years, even, uh, that suggest that Jesus didn't think of himself as God. But that was a kind of belief that evolved in the early church through the first few centuries, and it actually was never something Jesus himself believed. And if you're going to say that, you have to basically rip this page out and just dis- disregard this as evidence, because it's very clear from what Jesus is saying, the Jewish people think that Jesus is making himself equal with God. And Jesus does not uh, disagree with them in any way, does he? If anything, he actually strengthens uh, what they're saying. So Jesus was claiming to be God, uh, but notice the exact wording of the charge. Just have a look, verse 18. Get your kind of legal minds in gear, okay? What's the exact charge? Making himself equal with God. 
I think that means that this isn't just an a- academic sort of question about whether Jesus is or isn't God or that kind of thing. This is a question about, about power and about truth. I think we're very wary, aren't we, rightly so, of people who have got a Messiah complex. People who think that God is with them in an unquestionable way. Everything they do is kind of because God is with them and they are the kind of the way that God is working in the world. We're, we're, we're nervous of that. And I think we've probably seen an example of that in our local news recently with some of the issues that have been going on. But more generally, I think we're also wary of any kind of big claims of authority or power plays. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, can we really trust somebody who says that they're equal with God? Well, have a look at Jesus' response, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So this verse, I think it's saying, Jesus says that he is the Son who does his Father's work. Now, at first sight, this is quite a similar statement to verse 17, but actually... Uh, This statement clarifies what Jesus is saying in three ways. And again, get your kind of legal minds on a a little bit here to just follow the detail. So firstly, this is saying that Jesus does the very same things that the Father does in the very same way. Look at the verse again. Do you see Jesus says, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus isn't kind of just imitating what God does and doing sort of similar things the very things that God does, that the Son does, likewise, in the same way. This is important because Jesus is saying there aren't two rival gods out there. And there's not even like the Father and the Son have sort of joined forces to work together. There is a total identity between the Father and the Son. Uh, One person said, uh, Jesus and God, you cannot put a cigarette paper between them. They do the very same thing in the very same way. And that's good, because it means that Jesus is not coming to us and saying, I'm equal with God, in any way to rise up the greasy ladder. He's not trying to get one over us. He's saying that he has everything from before the world began. And so the only reason he can be here is as a gift to us. Okay, that's the first clarification. The second clarification is that Jesus does what the Father shows him. Uh, So Jesus does the very same things in the very same way, but there is a kind of direction in God's work. So have a look at the start of verse 19. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So there's there's Jesus and, and the Father do the same thing in the same way, but there's a sort of direction to that. Okay, the Father shows the Son what he does, and the, and the Son receives that and, and does it in the same way. Do you see that? That's a bit of a complicated point, but hopefully you see the works of God come from the Father to the Son. And that means they're almost like a kind of a gift, I think. It, it's almost as, as, as the Father kind of opens up all that he is, the Son receives that and it does it in the very same way. So the works of God are almost like a kind of a gift, I think this is, this is helpful because when Jesus says that his father is working and he's working as well, Jesus is not, um, 
trying to get one over us. He's not trying to make a power play. He's actually opening us up to this precious, intimate relationship that he has with the Father. This is the most uh, close, most personal, most generous relationship that could possibly exist. This is the eternal Father giving eternally to his Son. And then thirdly, third clarification uh, is that the work of God is to give life. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So what do the Father and the Son do as they work uh, together? They give life. We saw this last week, the healing. That's why Jesus does these miracles, to give signs of how he gives life. We saw saw this earlier, um, that God is working to give Sabbath rest for his people. And now we see explicitly, this is the work of God, to give life. Jesus even says that that work of Sabbath rest isn't just out there in the future. Have a look at verse 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted or given the Son also to have life in himself. So you see again the relationship of giving and receiving between the Father and the Son, but then that overflows to us. The Father gives to the Son life, and the Son shares something of that life with us. And that happens even today, even now. Uh, Verse 24, whoever believes my word hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He doesn't need to come into judgment. He has passed over from death to life. So the work of God is to give life, and that can happen even right now. Um, Now, there is lots about judgment in this passage, um, and we don't really have time to to get into that. And that's not me evading it. I do think for several reasons that the the work of giving life is more, more directly uh, the work of God and, and the focus here. But I'm happy to discuss that, that later. But, but let me just make a couple of applications just as we, uh, as we finish up. Uh, first application is to our beliefs. We really do need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is how God's life comes to us. That's how we get to be part of the Sabbath rest. Um, you've, we've got a quote on our handout here that we used a couple of weeks ago from um, Tim Keller. Uh, he, he's talking about a time when he was uh, involved in sort of a roundtable discussion with a, a Muslim imam and a Jewish rabbi. And he says, we all agreed on the statement. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, the Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or a prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. So that is one of the things that makes the Christian faith really unique, is we we don't just believe in uh, an abstract God, we believe in the God who's made himself known uh, in the sending of his son. And you can see this is really coming right out of this passage. Just have a look at verse 23. Jesus says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Okay, so if we, we really do need to believe that Jesus is the son of God if we want to enjoy uh, life with God. 
But this passage also shows us, I think, that we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about committing our lives to Jesus because he is the eternal son of God. He is forever the beloved son of God, uh, the one who comes from the Father to give us life. He's not coming to get one over us, but he's coming to give to us what he himself received or something of what he has received from the Father. So that's the first application to our beliefs. We really do want to trust that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, And second application is to our work. So this passage isn't only about who Jesus is. It's also got something about what we are to do. So just have a look at the end of the reading, uh, verse 28 to 30. Uh, Jesus says, uh, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the voice of Jesus, and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus here is turning the situation around, isn't he? He's been put on trial. He's been told that he is in the wrong. And now Jesus is saying, actually, I'm your judge. And Jesus, as the judge, says that he is looking for people who have done good. You see that there, verse 29. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we earn our salvation by our works. Um, It's very clear, we already read it, verse 24, that we cross over from death to life by believing in Jesus' word. But at the same time, whoever does believe Jesus' word will do good. There's, and there's no doubt in this passage about what that good work is that God wants us to do. Jesus says that he comes to do the will of him who sent him. And in a way, just as the father loves the son and so shows him all he does, so Jesus in this passage loves us by showing us all that he does. He comes from the Father to lead us into the Sabbath rest for the people of God. And if we want to do the work of God, then that's what we want to be getting involved in too. We want to be people who are doing six-day work, looking after this world, making it productive, providing for people physically. And we also want to be people who do seventh-day work who point our colleagues and our friends and our family to the Sabbath rest that is ready for us in Jesus Christ. That is how God is at work while we're at work. So shall we pray that God would help us to be involved in what he's doing? Let's pray. Our Father, we have touched on some really deep uh, things this lunchtime, things that perhaps we're not... perhaps weren't prepared for when we came uh, into the Clayton this lunchtime. But Father, we do thank you for what we've caught a glimpse of, uh, even in these last few minutes. The way that you, from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell together in in this life of perfect giving and receiving, this relationship of love. And our Father, we praise you that that life uh, overflows to us in the coming of Jesus, We praise you that he comes to give us life with you forevermore. We praise you that this is the work that you are working towards. And we praise you that you call us to share in this work, to imitate you as we work in our jobs and as we point ahead to the Sabbath rest 
of the people of God. So we pray, that Father, that you'll help us to share in this by putting our trust in Jesus and seeking to do good where you've put us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.